That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, welcome to another episode of Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries featuring me, A.A. Ron Zimmerman, and uh, co-host Jacob Smith, fresh off the airplane from Jesus's homeland. How how was Israel, Jake? Uh, Israel was amazing. Israel was amazing, and uh, you know uh, we were there. And I kept getting emails about, "Hey, are you safe?" Because evidently there were some rockets fired. Um, but we felt very safe and uh, spent time in Israel and in the West Bank, and um, and uh, followed in the footsteps of Jesus. It's very uh, it's a very powerful thing to do. And so and. Uh, I recommend people uh, go on a pilgrimage at least once in their life. Yeah, you, do you know what they call a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, Jake? This is not a joke. I'm not setting you up. Have you heard this phrase? No. It's called. I've heard it. I've heard it called the fifth gospel. And if you go, oh. uh, it's sort of like you. It just. It sort of gives you more insight into the whole, um, the whole narrative of Christ's life. So, which is I found is, to be true when I was there for sure. It's amazing. Uh, you know the topography and. Uh, the, um, the topography of the land and the change. I mean, you're looking at a place basically the size of, you know, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in one minute you're in snow-capped mountains in the north, and the next moment you're, uh, you know, below sea level at the Dead Sea in the middle of a barren desert. And, yep. But it is a profound place, and it's amazing that all of this stuff took place in such a, on, on such a small scale. You know, yeah. when I think about Jesus going to Bethany, I think about him going to Texas from New York. And, uh, the truth is, is it just was right over a hill. Hey, well, I, I got to ask, how were the clubs in Tel Aviv? Oh, that's so funny. Jake's a big um, raver, they were you guys. Amazing. You don't know that. And so, uh, but we didn't go to Tel Aviv. We actually went to Haifa. Just kidding. Ooh, no, ooh. but I, I did have a couple of people on my pilgrimage that did want to go clubbing. And I said, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It, the Lord would not grant you favor were you to do that. I just said, no, that wasn't it. I mean, I'm sure he would have blessed them with a beautiful lady. Um, <laughs> but, but that's uh, not why um, we're here. Yeah, and uh, Jake, Father Jake doesn't want to be your wingman. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, all right. So, well, they kept it on the up and up in Israel, folks, so you guys can feel good about the uh, the the oracle right. that we're about to hear. Jake, we're at Fifth Sunday in Lent. Here we go with the yeah. best collect in the prayer book, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Uh, that statement should just stop church right there. Uh, we've, mm. we've just said the opposite of what most churches believe believe that because most churches preach as if we ourselves can bring into order our unruly wills mm-hmm. but this collect begins by saying uh-uh yeah and that uh somehow if we bring our unruly wills and affections under control then god will really love us but uh nothing could be further from the truth it's in the midst of that that he grants us the grace to love what 
he commands and desire what he promises. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it, so there's this tacit acknowledgement that we don't actually love what God commands, which I think mm-hmm. is just a profound observation that is true. We don't actually wake up in the morning, most of us, wanting to do what God wants us to do. We just want to do what we want to do. And I, I love the fact that it recognizes that, you know, in the midst of the changes of this life, you know, that we need God to fix our hearts mm-hmm. where true joy may be found. So it's connected to the colic. And I believe this this collect in particular was written by Kremner as well. And so, but you really realize that Kremner understood uh, the concept of it's not the brain calling the show, it's the heart that's calling the show. And so uh, we need a heart transplant all the time, and we need our hearts fixed where those their true joys to be found. Yeah, so Episcopalians out there, or Anglicans, uh, start getting a little bingo card and filling it out every time you hear the word heart or some mm-hmm. derivation of the word heart in the liturgy, and your card will soon be full every Sunday with the prayer of uh, the colic for purity, obviously at the beginning of the service, but then in most colics there's a prayer about what God would do in our hearts. For that mm-hmm. very reason, That's Cranmer right. recognized that our hearts want what they want, uh, and mm-hmm. then we sort of decided to do that. Yeah, and then so we come to our first reading, which is also called the fifth gospel from the prophet Isaiah, right. chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. And uh, this is a, uh, a very um, beautiful piece of scripture, I would say, which really kind of articulates um, this great thing that God is about to do. And remember when you're teaching the Old Testament, there is a uh, type and a shadow. And uh, The type is Jesus, but the shadow is found in the people of Israel. And so what the prophet Isaiah here is saying is that the people of of Judea are on the brink of coming home. And uh, something new, the deliverance is going to occur, and it's going to be uh, an amazing thing. And Isaiah begins by rooting it in the first amazing thing that God did for the people of Israel, and that was their deliverance from Egypt. And so it begins with, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out the chariots and the horses, army and warriors. This is all a reference back to um, the Exodus. Yeah, Moses and uh, the people of Israel crossing through the sea, uh, the waters splitting so they can go forward. Uh, and, um, And so God says, remember when I did that? I'm the God that can do that, and I'm about to do a new thing, and it's going to be so yeah. amazing. It's going to be so amazing, do not even remember the former things. I'm about That's to do right. something that will uh, blow you away. If, if, uh, you need a, uh, if you're the kind of church that has screens and you're into cheesy Hollywood movies, this is where you show Bruce Almighty, where he separates the waters of his soup bowl, uh, where he's learning about his divine powers. But God says this is going to be even more amazing. A way, he's rivers in the desert, which is sort of an Im- impossibility. Uh, and, uh, and basically saying that in a place where there's no hope, uh, I will bring hope. Um, and this right. is this is a this is a foreshadowing, obviously, of Easter, which we're now getting close to. We're ending the we're getting near to the end of Lent. The pilot has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. Uh, we're beginning our initial descent now, and we're going to be landing in the events of Holy Week pretty soon with Palm Sunday. Right, and uh, you know, and I love that he says, "Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of the old." And, uh, you know, and this, this tends to be the problem, is, is that we tend to, to fixate ourselves on the old thing. And for them, it would have been simply Moses alone. Right. And, uh, and he says, I'm about to do a new thing. And this is one of the big confusions in the church, is that people think that God is um, some sort of new thing, is some sort of new revelation or new kind of this, new that, you know, wh- wherever you may be. But the new thing is always the gospel, folks. Yeah. The new thing is how you relate to God. 
and you no longer relate to him on the basis of your works. And uh, once you have your unruly self to relate back to the collect under control, the new thing is, is that he's going to do it for you. And this is powerful thing. And the new thing that he does that, that, you know, making way in the wilderness and the rivers and the desert, you know, these things, this is the unruliness of actually your heart yeah. that God is about to come in and tame in a very powerful way. Yep. I mean, the, the statement of the wild animals will honor me. Uh, I mean, that makes me think of you, Jake, and the condition of your interior life and your heart. You're just a wild animal inside that cannot be tamed. Absolutely. But... I'm, a, I'm like a bronco. If a I was buck- a wild animal, I would be a bronco. Yep. Wild stallions. <laughs> and so God is going to come in there, and even in your heart, we'll... we'll, we'll We'll break that horse. We'll we'll uh, tame the wild animals, um, and uh, this isn't a yeah. This impossible thing will happen. God is going to do a new thing, and that's that. People think Christianity is just a. It's old religion, meaning do good to get good stuff from God, uh, with some Jesus motivation from the sidelines, mm. and it's not that. It's a totally new thing. And this is a perfect segue into uh, Philippians yes. chapter three, um, and uh, this is where. Um, I love that you did that Wild Stallion reference. That's a blast from the past. But anyway, um, shout out to Sean Norris. And but, they're doing uh, um, the new Bill and Ted. I think there's a, there's uh, a, a new one coming out. Praise That's God. See, God you, is doing a new thing. But here you see in Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul laying out how he used to relate to God the old way. And uh, if you are relating to God the old way, let me tell you, you do not have nearly um, as uh, um, sophisticated and important a resume as the Apostle Paul. Yep. He. And what's interesting, he is. he's laying down things which to us may not sound that amazing, but to his audience would be, just the fact that he is basically able to say at a time when most Jewish uh, folks uh, were not as sure, maybe, of their tribal identity and their ancestry yeah. because the nation of Israel had been scattered and it had been... Uh, I mean, centuries that the 12 tribes had been kicked out and then welcomed back, and there had been lots of mixing with other uh, tribes and other religious groups. So the fact that he knows that he's of the tribe of Benjamin, the fact that yeah, his that's, parents that's were observant a... enough to circumcise him on the eighth day, you know he was he was part of the remnant. Yeah, that and that's really important, that those resume. I mean, if you want to touch a little bit on that for uh, some uh, setting and things like that. I mean, to, to be of the tribe of Benjamin, what he's saying there is, is that I come from a royal tribe. And if you know it, like, because Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Yep. And not only that, they were one of the few tribes that were not faithless in the end. And so, you know, he's kind of laying that out. And then basically, he's like a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Basically, I speak the mother tongue. Most of you people speak Greek or something else. Yep. I speak the mother tongue. And then as to the law, a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church, like before the law, blameless. And really, this is what you see here. If you ever want to tie this into the gospel in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, lest your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, um, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Boom. Use that as the, as the, as the, um, as the uh, like setting for this. Uh, what Jesus is doing there is not saying, hey, try harder. What he's doing is, and what Paul understands here, is that at the end of the day, I need a righteousness outside of myself to save me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, you know, this is all of this stuff is just total crap. The old way of relating to God is not going to cut it. Yep. And Paul is describing in uh, religious terms something that for him personally would have been a complete 
evisceration. I mean, he's just, mm. he was spiritually disemboweled by what happened on the road to Damascus. He, he had all, he's had every confidence in the flesh. I mean, there were no chinks in his armor. He's like the one guy that was perfect. Uh, um, and I, I, and he's probably the guy that most people would have loved to hate. Like everybody hates somebody who's, yeah. who's sort of perfect. But he's like, no, I was. I just got this solicitation from my uh, alma mater, uh, Harvard College, inviting me to include them in my will because they apparently are aware that I'm, you know, um, massively wealthy on a scale that you cannot <laughs> conceive, Jake. And you're also going to die tomorrow. Uh, that's right. So put us in your will. But the guy in the front was like, my great-grandfather went to Harvard, and I've included it in my will. And I and I mean, it was – and I was like, I went As to the school, and I hate this money. guy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> it backfires. And so but, – but Paul is saying here, I was perfect. I was blameless. And then he comes to this thing where he says, everything, all that? It was a loss, and he just he belabors the point. He says, I've come to regard it as a loss. I regard everything as a loss. I've suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I regard them as rubbish. And the, the word here in Greek, if in case you don't know, folks, this is one of the places where Paul kind of cusses in Scripture. Scubalon is mm. the... Uh, it's dung. It's 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 dog poop. I'm not going to say the actual word because I, I don't want to get an explicit rating yeah. on, on uh, iTunes, but... Uh, yeah, he says everything was poop uh, compared to uh, uh, knowing Christ. And his own righteousness was poop. And so there's people in your congregation that are trying hard to be righteous. They're trying, they're, if they're really trying, they're probably feeling like they're not doing enough. Um, and, and Paul says all that is rubbish. That's all dung. That's uh, yeah. the only thing that he wants. The only treasure is a righteousness not of your own but the righteousness that comes from Christ. And this is such a hard thing, I think, for people to get, because everything is always saying, try harder to make yourself better. Your eating, yeah. your appearance, your performance, your career, your parenting, everything is always saying, get better and get it. And Paul says, no, your righteousness is not your own. It's something that comes That's through right. faith in Christ. And it comes through faith. And so this is the thing, is that, so then what do I tell my people? You know well, what I yeah. mean? I got yeah, asked so today them- by a guy who said, well, if this is true, what do I do? And I said... Yeah. The next time you sin, act like you got away with it. Uh, what it, what it actually feels like is letting yourself off the hook, and um, yeah. maybe not jumping into the swimming pool of self-loathing immediately. Um, it yeah, actually feels or, like forgiving yourself. Yeah. The uh, yeah. What does it look like? It means believe that God, what God has said about you. And you it, know, yeah. this is this is, and that's that's what he means when he says the righteousness from God based on faith. Yep. You know, this is the what is faith is the promise that God has given you that you are righteous. And so embrace it. Yep. Enjoy your forgiveness. And, and most, uh, most people you know, think that they have to still continue to feel bad for their sins. And there is a time to lament and mourn. And Lent certainly is course. that to get in touch with that. But there's a line that you cross if you start, um, as one speaker has said, robbing Christ. He, you know, he took your sins, he died with them, and he left them in the tomb. And uh, if you want to keep carrying them around, you're actually stealing them back from Christ. Don't yeah. rob Christ. Let him. So, mm. so it act, it feels like getting away with murder. It feels like um, shoplifting and and not getting caught. Uh, and that's that's what this grace means. And so, but then Paul goes on to say, um, you know, I want to I want to go on, and and I haven't attained the goal. I press on. I, other translations, I strive. Um, I, he says, I strain forward to what lies ahead. So sometimes people want to say, you guys talk about grace all the time, but look at here. Look, Paul says, I'm straining, I'm working, I'm trying. I'm, this is what Christianity is. What would you say to that, Jake? 
I would say go back and read the previous two paragraphs that we've just said. This is not the uh, trying to, um, as the colic says, this is not us trying, this isn't St. Paul trying to uh, put to order his unruly wills and affections. Yep. No, this is the fruit of the fact that by faith in that promise that he's been made righteous, despite himself, you know what I mean? Yep. He now uh, strives on. I mean, this is, this is an amazing love. Um, and uh, when you realize how amazing this love is, you, sh- you can lay on the couch and eat grapes all day long, but you won't. You know what I mean? The truth is, is that you, you, you will press on to the prize. So this becomes the fruit. This becomes the description um, after what has happened when a promise has been received. You always talk about eating grapes on the couch like it's the height of hedonism, Jake. And I, I feel like you need to chew. Like, that's a fruit. There's fiber in that. And you can't have, it can't be sinful if it's fibrous. There's got to, you got to pick like a, a Ferrero yeah. Rocher so hazelnut you, chocolate ball or, uh, uh, I don't know, a whole see, sleeve of Oreos in one sitting. See, I have to say grapes because I will go really dark. What I wanted to say is, you know, you, you smoke crack on the corner. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, I mean, I, I can go really dark. And, uh, and if it was up to me, I would be in big ass trouble. But the truth is, is that we have been given a righteousness apart from ourselves. And this inspires us to move forward and press on. That's right. And uh, press on for the sake of the gospel. And press on. And uh, because lots forward. of people need to hear this. Yeah, you can move forward because you actually don't have to worry about your standing with God. You don't have to be afraid you're going to mess it up. I told uh, somebody recently, you know, just like we were talking about, live as if you're forgiven. And uh, he said, well, what if, what if I don't really uh, believe that? And I was like, well, yeah, exactly. Join the party. (laughs) Yeah, we're all a mix of saint and sinner, and so, but God has chosen already to forgive us even before we've asked for it, so just move forward. And the thing that's amazing, we read law back into this third Mm -hmm. paragraph that's not actually there. He says, "Um, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's a done deal. And then he goes to say, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What he means is forgetting the life of legalistic righteousness that he was living before, forgetting all that stuff, not hanging on to old sins, not hanging on to old legalism, and just moving forward into the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. That's right. And, uh, you know, and Rod Rosenblatt has a great quote, and he says that Christianity is a is not about moving from uh, vice to virtue. It's about moving from virtue to grace. Hmm. And uh, really, this is what St. Paul is actually articulating here the movement from virtue to finally grace. And this begins to shed light on the meaning of the gospel. Uh, uh, hands down, one of the most misunderstood, I think, gospel texts out there. Um, but uh, Jesus is saying something very, very profound here. And it's not what you normally think. Yeah, so here he is. Uh, it tells us that six days before the Passover, this is John 12, Um, So pretty soon we're going to be heading into the Passover and the end of Jesus' life. But he gets to Bethany, this little town near Jerusalem, uh, Lazarus' house, whom Jesus had famously raised from the dead after he had been dead for three days. And, and of course, if somebody raises you from the dead, you are grateful. So they throw a dinner party for him. They... they, which is a big honor, and Martha is there serving, as she always does. Mm-hmm. Lazarus is there. We get this picture then of Mary, uh, Martha's sister, anointing uh, uh, Jesus with her hair and uh, with nard, which is this fragrant 
uh, oil and perfume. Yeah, I've um, got it all over me right now. <laughs> you're, so, I wondered why you were glistening, literally. Jake. You look like you've just. I brought uh, it back. You've I brought back it back, and the... I smell like nard. Yeah, but anyway, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, so then Judas Iscariot, obviously the one we know, uh, the text tells us is about to betray him, says, "Hey, shouldn't we spend this money on something else?" Yeah, and Judas Iscariot right here is the perfect example of works religion, what we've been talking against. He's the one who would have said, hey, shouldn't we be pressing on towards the prize? This is moving from uh, vice to virtue, uh, what Judas Iscariot is promoting here. And most people, I mean, you see it in the media, you see it with politicians, you see it with preachers. A lot of people that really emphasize virtue, there's something really dark going on in the corner. And as a pastor, you know, when you're dealing with someone who really wants to press you on the virtue buttons... You know, all the things you should be doing, whether it's social causes, whether it's personal holiness, I guarantee you there is a real vice going on behind closed doors. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the my favorite example, and I actually preached on this a few weeks ago, uh, the vegan YouTube celebrity who uh, it was discovered had begun eating fish, and this video went <laughs> online that showed her with fish on her salad, and, and uh, which, you know, poor 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 person she was just trying to you know balance out her diet a little bit on doctor's advice but she had to keep it secret and it's just a little metaphor of the person who's the most uh, against drugs uh, is is maybe using them there was a, a, a local uh, kind of important local official here in Waco recently that was arrested on a misdemeanor marijuana charge and uh, my child had been in a community event hearing this person speak just a few days prior and this person was talking about how you, you shouldn't, hey kids, like don't use drugs and it's the gateway drug and whatever. And just turns out hey, this person was then arrested a few days later for doing that, that very thing. So, um, or yeah. Dr. Dre, you know, with the whole, uh, Dr. teaching Dre. the, the, um, the whole, uh, scandal of like movie stars paying to get their kids into these like high, like cheating to get into schools. Yep. And so Dr. Dre, uh, you know, he was like, my daughter got in fair and square. But then come to find out he actually had given a gift to USC for like $60 million. Yeah, just so, a measly um, $60 million. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, the president's son, Don Jr., was making fun of those families as well. And then it turns out his father had given, you know, $1.5 million <laughs> yeah. to whatever. So, all that, yeah. I mean, we all so, live in glass houses. Don't throw stones. Me, me think if the lady doth protest too much. too much. And this is exactly what is happening with Judas here. Yes. So, he, he's... Oh, I... This, we could sell this perfume and give the money to the poor uh, because he's stealing. He's he's yeah. presenting this righteousness, but he's stealing from, from the pot. So then Jesus says this statement, which people freak out about and have strong feelings. Jake, you are among them, but mm -hmm. would you like to rant a little bit on this uh, line? Uh, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. She's done this beautiful yeah. thing for Jesus. She's anointed him with very expensive Drakkar Noir, and now um, we have Judas protesting, and Jesus says, you'll always have the poor, but not me. Absolutely. And, you know, and this kind of becomes oftentimes a rallying cry. And this is another form of moving from vice to virtue um, uh, about like, so we always have the poor with us and we've always got to do more of this, do more of that, more soup kitchens, you know, more, more pantries and all of that. And those are all fine and important. But what Jesus is saying is you do not always have me. And like this is, and so what he, it's actually a flip what he's saying, he's doing here. He's saying, I'm the most important thing. That's what he's saying. And, uh, and I think what this means for us as preachers is, is that 
the proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done is the most important thing for apostles. You know what I mean? And for uh, for preachers as well. And so this is there is there is something far the poor we will always have with us. And yes, um, as part of the fruit of our ministry, not something to earn something, but part of the fruit is that we care for the least, the, 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 the less fortunate and we care for those, you know, who need help. Um, but but the main thing is is Christ. And this becomes our job to assure that in the midst of his perceived absence, there he is very present in the word that you were preaching and in the bread and the wine as you gather around that table that he calls us all to. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people that are going to hear this as Jesus saying in some way, like, the poor don't matter. I mean, that's what Judas is sort of, he's almost rebuking Jesus for allowing himself to be the recipient of this extravagant gift. Uh, you know, Jesus, if you really cared about the poor. Uh, but um, Jesus is sort of saying, look, Judas, you want to serve the poor? Go ahead. By the way, Jesus has been doing just that, but um, and you'll always have it. But, but uh, doing something beautiful for the Lord, this act of devotion to God, um, is a significant thing, and, and it should, it's a reminder to the church that our main calling is to proclaim the message of the gospel. Uh, now, which, is, which, is a, which is a beautiful form of nard in itself. Yeah. You know, it is um, the prayers of, the, uh, what does it say in the book of Revelation? The prayers of the righteous are a fragrant offering unto the Lord. Hmm. And I mean, and so, and worship is extremely important. Yep. Um, it's 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 uh, worship, and uh, that comes forth from this gospel, as our unruly wills are um, are kind of uh, are tamed, and uh, our hearts are fixed where true joys are to be found, and that is your message this week, preachers, and those who are listening. That's right. We hope you got something out of this. Uh, your resume doesn't matter. God's going to do a new thing, and which is the gospel. Um, and the gospel, yeah. Jesus is the main message. That's all we got. Uh, if you wanted something else, you're on the wrong podcast. Uh, but Lots ble- of love. Bless you. We'll talk to you later. Bye, Jake. Bye-bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.